Welcome to the podcast. We're very pleased to be sponsored by Camp Sarian Louise. And for those of you who know us, you know we've been in the business of caring about children and their families for generations. In maintaining our commitment to the growth and development of the children, we're very aware that they and their families can often face a number of challenges in their everyday lives. Now, of course, we know it's not all the children, all the time, but it can be said that at least some of the children, some of the time, are confronted with some dilemma, situation, or decision that can require a range of responses to cope with that particular episode in their lives. With that being said, we've invited a number of experts to talk to us about how we can help the children and their families manage some of these moments day to day. Today, we're so very excited to welcome Risa Perlman. Risa is a licensed clinical social worker and is an approved supervisor with the Maryland Board of Social Work Examiners. As a psychotherapist, she has dedicated her professional career to meeting the unique needs of children, adolescents, and their families. Affiliated with the University of Maryland School of Medicine, she's a lead counselor in one of their outstanding school mental health programs, and she also maintains an independent practice with offices in Ellicott City and Owings Mills, Maryland. On top of all of that, Risa is also a longtime and treasured member of the administrative staff at Camp Louise, where she has served as advisor and mentor to the campus support staff, consulting on all matters related to camper and staff, social, and emotional well-being. You can ask almost any camper or camp alum about their best moments from their days at camp, and just about everyone would start by describing the friends they made. Camps Ari and Louise take great pride in helping their campers make friends for a lifetime. But of course, there are times when finding and growing those friendships may not come as easily for some as they do for others. So today we're going to talk with Risa a bit about friendship building. So Risa, it's often been said that friends are the gold of childhood. So let's jump in wherever you think is a good place to start. And thank you for helping us today. Thank you. The gold of childhood. I think they're also the gold of uh, our entire lifespan. But that starts in childhood and learning how to have friendships in childhood is really important and valuable and sometimes difficult to navigate. When you think about a friend, what, what how would you describe a friend? Because I think they can come in many shapes and sizes from a temporary friend that you meet somewhere in your travels through life for a day or two and someone who actually travels the entire road of your life with you. So sure. what, what makes a good friend? I think friendship is uh, defined by an interest and uh, support of one another and uh, facing and navigating life together. For, you know, again, for kids, that's they're learning that as they go, and we're sometimes supporting them in that. But it's really about who you who you navigate life with, and how you navigate it together. When friendships first start, kind of, how do they get going? How do you identify someone who you want to be a friend with, or do they identify you? How does it work? Friendships are based on commonality, and so wherever kid or a person starts an interest, that's where friendship is born. That could be family relationships. It could be school relationships. It could be common interests like a sport or a hobby. It could be a camp community. It could be uh, a religious community. But that common interest is what sparks it. And then it grows from enjoying each other's company and those common interests and just you know, having time together that you enjoy builds more time together that you enjoy. It seems when thinking about friendships as well, 
maybe the very first moments of a friendship might be almost a little selfish in the sense, what's in it for me? As you look around, maybe it's even the first day of camp and you're looking around the bunk and checking out who's there. And so is there something I can get from kind of approaching this person or is there something that says I shouldn't? What do you, besides the common interests, kind of when, where do they start? What are the first steps? What do you say to them to start building a friendship? Yeah. Uh, we can learn a lot from that latency age or early childhood or units A and B uh, elementary school age children in that uh, it really is all about you. And it really is all about kind of what you are looking for and how you feel in that moment. And, you know, from that first moment, it's sometimes just as simple as helping our kids understand that it's about making eye contact and starting about a, a starting a conversation about something that is both interesting to you and them. And that first conversation can sometimes go well and sometimes not go so well, but it can usually lead to the next and the next and the next. So one of the first things to do is just to get to know more about someone. Absolutely. Is there anything uh, parents or when we're at camp that counselors can do to kind of help model or teach children about how do you how do you get to know things about someone yeah so one of the most important things that parents can do for their kids in friendship skills is modeling and showing your kids what your friendships and healthy friendships look like and so when you see your friend and you say hi and you give them a hug and you look them in the eye and you ask them how they are and they ask you how you are and you're authentic in that moment you are teaching your child. We teach our children through modeling and through being an example for them. And then when difficult situations come to pass with friendships or our kids have a hard time navigating how to start a friendship, it really is our job as their counselor or their parent or their guide to listen to what their needs are and then support them in navigating that empathy and communication and commonalities to help build and grow. So one of the first things you can do as a friend or even teaching some of the lessons of growing a friendship is to listen. The key to listening is not only just paying attention, but it seems to me it's also processing what you've heard and understanding that whatever it is, is important to them. And that's when you decide whether you want that to be important to yourself. When you're an active listener, what is it that you would suggest kids do or parents teach their kids to do? So part of being an active listener is eye contact, actually listening to the words someone's saying and responding to those words uh, directly. And so if someone says to you, I love baseball, and you say, hockey's great, and I love hockey, and go on and on about hockey, you're not actually connecting with that person. Whereas if you say, I love hockey, and they both involve you know, sports and I love being a part of a team and what do you love being about, about being on a team and what do I love being about on a team? What do I love about being on a team? (laughs) You found a commonality and it's about finding that common place and growing on it as well as empathy, you know, experiencing uh, a moment and understanding what someone else is feeling in that moment that maybe your the the friend or the other camper is feeling shy or alienated or missing home or whatever it is and that when the other child has empathy for them in that moment and then makes a connection with them again eye contact 
active listening, listening to what they're saying and responding to what they're saying, it helps them grow and the connection. And clearly, hopefully one of the main goals of any real friendship is to grow. Absolutely. To grow and learn. One of the things I also heard you say is, particularly when you're starting to get to know someone, Mm -hmm. don't be a conversation hog. Don't just talk about yourself, yourself, yourself. Mm -hmm. It's okay to share, but learning how to trade information means it goes back and forth. This is about me. Tell me about you. And eventually you find yourself landing in a space where it goes from trading information to sharing information to just kind of knowing this is something that the friend would like as well. It also seems, though, there are times when you said that it's also helpful to kind of foster empathy and kind of a sympathetic concern for others. I know no one better in life who has a sympathetic concern for others than you. Thank you. How, how does that happen? Where does How can we, because I do think, and I hope you'll agree, maybe you will, is that it can be a, a learned skill as well. Absolutely. You, you can learn how to be uh, empathic about others. Absolutely. Can you just talk about empathy? I know it's uh, it's a lot, but yeah, empathy is the foundation of connection in many many ways, and it's about understanding where someone is um, and responding to them in a way that understands that, but doesn't doesn't over or under express in that. And so it's really about sort of understanding where they are, but not not putting your own judgments into it, not um, pitying them in some way, and not being over-enthusiastic, but rather just being present. And that presence is the key to relationship, and that feeling, uh, understanding what they're feeling and feeling for them in that is really important. And teaching our kids how to respond appropriately to appear in a tough moment when someone loses the game or saying to them, you did a great job and I had fun playing with you. And those moments are what teach our kids how to stretch that into other parts of friendship. I imagine though there are times that being empathetic, sharing concern for others also can be a bit of a burden. It's it's a lot to take on the feelings of someone else. You can have a sense of observing distress in someone else and then almost feeling it for yourself. I don't know how one prevents that from happening, but I think you have to be on guard for it at times as well, because I think instead of kind of this emotional contagion, it's not like you want to be overburdened by what the other person's Mm -hmm. feeling, although sometimes you're the person they want to talk to Mm -hmm. and and you take it all in, but the the empathic concern, which is the motivation to care for individuals who are vulnerable or distressed, seems like you're also talking about one of the keys to empathy is taking the other person's perspective in the world. Really kind of the cliche, what's it like to be in their shoes, but to generally understand that. But it's not just feeling, it's also thinking about it. Mm -hmm. How do you get to learn how to think about what it's like to be someone else? Some of that comes from conscious conversation with the trusted adults in your life. It comes from us as the adults in a child's life saying, how would you feel if you were in that situation? Or I wonder what that feels like. Um, so that we start our children thinking at a young age and then importantly into adolescence, thinking about what it would be like to be there, to have that happen, to have that experience, to experience that feeling. And that the more that we as trusted adults facilitate those conversations, the more kids start to 
internalize that sense of how would it feel to be there? And that then brings a sense of empathy in conversation. So as a parent or as a counselor, what would you share with a child? What would you show them about something that happened and you're responding? How, can you think of any example perhaps? Sure, I think that the, the most important thing is to be real and human when we're dealing with these type of situations. And so when your kid comes home or comes back to the bunk and says, you know, my friends in this terrible situation and they, uh, you know, people were laughing at them, people were being mean to them. It's about us supporting them in understanding what that must feel like and then guiding them to what would you want someone to do for you if you were in that situation. And so, you know, your kid comes home and says, my friend is being picked on at school and you say to them, gosh, that must feel terrible. What do you think it would feel like to be in that situation? What would you, this, the most important second piece of that is, what would you want someone to do for you? And then moving the conversation to how can you do that for them? And that is also our opportunity to guide over-involvement or under-involvement. So sometimes we go all in and we want to protect our friends. Well, it's not our job to do everything. It's our job to be there to support them. And so we can help guide our kids to doing it in an appropriate way, to being the friend that our kids want for other kids, but not trying to shield them from everything. Also an important moment for us to teach our kids to when to use adult resources. Can you talk about that some more? Yeah, so there's lots of situations that kids are in where kids can learn how to navigate them with their friends. And so yes, I feel badly that you are being teased uh, for your new outfit and so I'm gonna go stand with you and check on you and say to, say to the other kid, uh, it's not okay to talk to my friend that way. There's some situations when things are bigger and kids are getting hurt, whether physically or emotionally, in the moment. And that's the opportunity for our kids to say, this is bigger than me. There's moments where kids are in harm's way and it's not something a kid or a teenager can navigate themselves. And so that's the moment where we say to our kids who are looking at their friends, is this one you can handle? Or is this one you need some support on? Is this the one where you go to the counselor? Is this the one where you go to the teacher? Or is this the one where you say, hey friend, how can I support you? Or this is what I'd wanna do in this moment. This is what I'd want someone to do for me, so I'm gonna do it for you. I'm gonna make you a card. I'm gonna stand up to someone for you uh, with your words. So. And in terms of kind of being that person yourself, if that's the child who's in that situation, mm -hmm it's okay for them to go and ask for help. Absolutely. And, you know, the more that we teach our kids that it is okay to ask for help, and whether that means going to the parent, or it means going to the teacher, or it means going to another friend, or it means going to administrator, um, wherever it falls, our kids really help need help navigating that. That understanding where the responsibility falls in helping handle this situation is not something kids can handle on their own. And that's where we, again, as trusted adults, whether we're the counselor or the bunk or the parent or the teacher at school or the counselor, whatever role we play, we help them understand what's too big for them and what mm -hmm. they can navigate on their own. So first, let kids try to work things out on their own. Absolutely. But then if it becomes too big, uh, one of the things a friend can do or one way to build a friendship with someone is to go and ask for help yes. to make things better for them. Yeah. 
is there is there a sense do you think parents or and counselors at camp can they kind of rehearse some of these situations that may come up and Absolutely. how would you go about doing yeah. that in social work we use role play all of the time mm -hmm. and it is really important um to act out the situations and so to say to your kid like we talked about before you know um you know how would you want someone to treat you in that situation and then practicing with them and kids think it's really funny teenagers think it's really awkward but in those moments they become more comfortable doing the thing you're talking about and so when you say it to a child it is your idea when the child says it to you or even says it back to you it becomes their idea and when you practice the situation with them they become comfortable in not just owning it but participating in the conversation. Any examples of what you would practice with a child? What would you say, well, when you're in this particular situation, what will we do? Can you describe a situation, something like that? Sure, first, sure. First, it's how would you feel? And then second is what would you say? And then third, it is what would you say to me if I was in that situation? And so if, uh, let's go back to the kid being teased for their clothes. And so what would you want someone to say to you? I would want someone to say to me, I love your outfit and um, I'm here and I'm your friend and who cares what they say? And, uh, and then it's practicing that conversation. So it's them identifying it, saying out loud and then practicing it. Pretend I'm your friend and look at this outfit I have and it's so gorgeous and no one likes it what would you say to me? And then your kid laughs and they look at you goofy and you say, no, it's really important. What would you say? And they choke it out. You say, that was really great. Why don't you try it again? And they choke it out again. And then the third time they feel more comfortable and then they're ready to say it to their friends. Or they're saying it to someone else and saying, please don't talk to my friend that way. That's not an okay way to talk to someone. This isn't how we're gonna do it. And then practicing that as well. And then knowing what to do next. So knowing that someone will stand up for you, help you mm -hmm. process mm -hmm. things alongside you is a good way to build a friendship. Absolutely. And to build friendship skills. And build friendship skills. Sometimes, notice walking around camp or school setting or whatever it is, you, you can see children also kind of communicate, not just verbally with their words, but non-verbally. Non sure. Can you talk a little bit about kind of the non-verbal communication and how it either promotes or interferes with friendship building? Sure. Those are some of my favorite moments at camp. When I see a kid walking along sort of separate from their bunk, arms across their chest, head down. They're not saying anything. Their counselor hasn't said anything to me. But you can see in that moment that they are not connecting in the way that the other kids are. And uh, again, as adults, it's a moment where kids may or may not recognize it, but it's our job to help. And so at camp, what we do is a kind of a twofold response. One is to connect with the kid and help them feel special so that they feel more comfortable connecting. And the second piece is to utilize the bunk model to help the other kids to connect that person in. And we do that through uh, group bonding activities and spending time together and finding commonalities. We're back to that, right? Finding commonalities and then including that person in the conversation. And sometimes uh, kids can advocate in that and sometimes they can't and so we need to be aware of the body language that mm -hmm. they're presenting so that we can notice and bring them in and our counselors are really great at that at noticing when a kid isn't part of 
the group at that moment and checking out what's going on. And sometimes that's a moment and sometimes it's more than a moment, but either way we bring them in. So one of the goals of that, I imagine, is learning not only to trust others, but to trust yourself. Absolutely. That what you're seeing and reading in other people mm -hmm. is accurate and valid and gives you a good read about what's going on so that you can move forward. Sometimes because uh, children may not be very good at reading those cues and things like that. Do you ever find yourself just helping children kind of read faces and facial expressions sure. and what they mean? Sure. So some of the important, some of my favorite and most important work is encouraging kids to see someone's face and know what they might be feeling and recognizing feelings and practicing feelings on their own faces so that when they are presented with someone who is experiencing a feeling, sometimes a hard feeling in front of them, they can recognize that and support that person accordingly. And so some of that for parents and for counselors is about identifying your own feelings. It's about saying, gosh, I feel really angry right now, or gosh, I feel sad, or I'm really happy, or I'm really excited, that in that moment when you use that language, you're teaching your child to recognize it. And so really modeling in the moment and just adding feeling language to your vocabulary to help your kids find that to be sort of normal and comfortable. And then kids start to identify it as, I feel really happy right now, or I'm really bummed out, I'm really sad right now that that language helps them understand it in others too. So they really learn how to kind of label their own sense of how they're mm -hmm. feeling at the moment, which makes them more kind of approachable as a friend themselves. Absolutely. Because if they're genuine and honest mm -hmm. and open about how they're feeling, uh, the friends around them are the, uh, can say, hey, I kind of like that. Yep. I'd like to be a part of it. Yeah, and in addition to that, it helps them to recognize feelings in others. So the first step to understanding feelings in others can be understanding feelings in yourself. Um, and when you have that sense of understanding of how you're feeling yourself and can put a name to it, you can start to notice it in other people. It's that conscious thinking part of it. So noticing feelings in other people is a skill that they can use in so many parts of Everywhere. their life, wherever they go. Absolutely. There are times, though, I imagine kids are also challenged to say... To themselves whether they want to join a friendship group or be friends with someone who's displaying negative behavior sure. yet they see that that child might be popular or at least mm -hmm. getting a lot of attention sure. what's it like when you for a child to kind of walk away from a situation that says well everyone else is their friend but i don't know if i want to be yeah. it is disconnecting and so in that moment the child has to feel confident enough in themselves to be comfortable saying I'm willing to, to uh, consider not being in this friendship, not having this connection, because it's not healthy or good for me. And so that's really about helping our kids feel confident and understand what they want for themselves. So it's about having very conscious conversation about who you are, what makes you my favorite, what makes you wonderful, unique, and special, <laughs> that when kids can identify what makes them wonderful, unique, and special, they want to grow that. So it's that conscious level of a sense of self and that knowing that the fracture in that connection that isn't healthy for them is okay because there will be other ones. That's a really important piece that a lot of kids, particularly teenagers, but young ones too, feel well, I don't know if I'll, I'll have anyone else. And, you know, camp is actually a beautiful place to know that you're going to have it. Um, and that when, uh, and I remember this from my own 
but childhood and adolescence that when you are faced with a tough situation and there might be uh, a difficult peer moment, you always have your camp friends. And so that connection and knowing that is the foundation that lets you build other friendships. So you carry your camp friends with you even always. during the school year. Yeah. They're always kind of with you and you remember the lessons learned. Absolutely. You also talk about being able to walk away from situations. So if yes. you find that you're around other children or who are argumentative or interrupting or name-calling or bossy or showing off or whatever it might be, that it's okay to kind of find within yourself kind of the sense of self-confidence and competency mm -hmm. to just say, that's not for me at this moment. It's not an all or nothing thing because okay. children can be very different from one moment yeah. to the next. Yeah. Most of all, it seems like they end up learning how to not only help others, but they learn to help themselves. Absolutely. And that in that sense of self, in that understanding of who they are, they have an increased ability to navigate. Uh, is this a moment for me? Is this a uh, situation for me? Is this a friendship for me? And that those are all different decisions that you may be very connected to someone you have a very strong relationship and feel very good about. But in this moment, it is not healthy or safe for me to connect with them emotionally or physically. Um, and so depending on the situation. And so I'm going to make a choice right now. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm making a choice forever. It's okay to walk away and then come back. And then it's okay to facilitate the difficult conversation that follows. You walked away because someone was making a choice that you didn't feel comfortable with and you weren't going to co-sign that with them. And so what does that then mean? And is there a follow-up conversation that they can have to either repair the friendship, but also with the knowledge that there's building in that, there's growth and there's setting expectations and boundaries. And sometimes I imagine a child will recognize in herself or himself that they haven't been a good friend mm -hmm. and it's up to them to kind of go to their peers, their other the friends and say, I wasn't a good friend yeah. to you. And I'd like to address that and, mm -hmm. and see if we can work that through. So being a friend, there's great mutuality to it as well. It's like owning your stuff, owning your stuff. That if you can own your piece and say, okay, it wasn't the best choice I made and I'm sorry. And I care about you and I want to maintain this friendship. Uh, it's both about acknowledging that in a moment, but it's also about changing the behavior. And so when someone says to you, and we know this as adults, when someone says to you, that's not who I am, but it's how they act, well, people start to not believe you. And for our kids, we want to support them in trusting someone for who they show you they are, not necessarily who they tell you they are. And for our kids, we want to teach them to be authentic and to be real uh, in who they are and not be different in what they say and what they do. So that's kind of the part of mutually caring and sharing that yes. being authentic, being your true self, because it's probably a whole lot easier to make friends with others if you, you are your true self mm -hmm. and trying to put on different masks for different people at different times. Mm -hmm. At the same time, there are different places in life where you have to be different at other times. Mm -hmm. If you're in a particular situation that requires more formality, sure. you have to be formal. Yeah. And if you're at camp and uh, running around in your camp clothes and your sneakers and enjoying the day, uh, that's a different call for a different type of behavior and things like that. Absolutely. And, and always finding that to be the case. Yeah. And preemptive conversations about those different uh, situations are really important. And so, hey, you're at camp, go. Let loose, have fun, be silly, 
you know, enjoy. Uh, and then when we go to dinner with your grandparents and you need to mind your manners, that's a little bit different. Uh, and just sort of having a conversation beforehand and saying, this is what I expect from you during this time, not in a putative way, but in a sort of, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I want you to do in this moment. There are other times though, when over the course of the weeks and years at camp or yeah. school or wherever you are, that you kind of build up these friends for a lifetime that we often Absolutely. talk about at camp, the friends through thick and thin as they grow over the course of time, whether at camp, when they start a camp that could be as young as seven or eight years old and go through their 17. Are there any differences between children of a certain age and how they travel through those friendships and how they grow mm -hmm. uh, and through those developmental stages? Absolutely. And so kids in that kind of, I think of them at elementary, early middle school years, it's really about common interest. And as they move further into adolescence, so that middle school, high school age, it's about, uh, it's less about the activity and more about the in the friendship and how they're connecting. Um, and those connections sort of transpire differently. And then, you know, continuing um, into adulthood and mm -hmm. how, again, the common interests, but also the connection and the empathy and the, uh, you know, the relational piece of it is, is so important. I also know that oftentimes what I hear people saying is, well, girls will be girls and boys will be boys. And sometimes that's an excuse for them not taking responsibility for yeah. themselves, not being their best selves. Yeah. Can you talk about how often we kind of rely on that as a, uh, a crutch, I guess, that girls will be girls and boys mm -hmm. will be boys? It's it's no excuse for not being a good friend, is it? Sure, no. And I've been really impressed. Um, there's been some brands uh, recently that have come out with um, sort of clothing that articulates uh, pushing against these ideas. So Strong Like Mom has been one of these shirts I've seen around and that you know we have uh, cultural expectations about girls and boys that really aren't fair to our kids mm -hmm. and they really put our kids at a disadvantage and uh, we should expect our boys to be kind and to be caring and that doesn't mean that they're not boys and they're not masculine what it means is that they're good friends and that they're good people and it doesn't mean they're not interested in kind of rough and tough stuff but they're interested in rough and tough while also being thoughtful about their friends. Same thing for girls. We put expectations out about uh, girls uh, and how they should uh, be with other people and they shouldn't be pushy or they shouldn't be um, overbearing. And these are expectations for girls that uh, can sometimes hold them back. And so uh, really expecting people to be, them be their best selves so pulling away those labels and I want you to be your best self. I want you to be who you authentically are. And I want you to be self-confident and advocate for yourself in a way that's also fair to others uh, is important. That would seem like that would be the, one of the best ways to make friends for a lifetime. Absolutely. Always being your best self. In talking about friends, it's, it's hard to imagine not at least touching on the topic of social media while at camp. It's, we are... Yeah screen-free, the Yay. notion of how many friends do you have on social media and, mm -hmm. and Instagrams and Finstagrams and everything else mm -hmm. that goes along with it. And again, even though we are screen-free, camp friends are friends beyond the camp Absolutely. months and so forth. What about the role of social media in, in friendships these days? Mm -hmm. uh, is it helpful? Is it impairing? What is it? I will say that I love that camp is screen-free. 
because it allows people to connect in an authentic, uh, present, kind of person-to-person -person way. Um, and I think some of what social media does is pulls that away. I will often say we need to remember that Facebook or Instagram or whichever one it is, is not real life. And that uh, we're in a time when kids often think that this is real life. And so, again, it's our responsibility as trusted adults to support our kids in, in understanding that it's not real life and that it is important to actually connect with someone, whether that's uh, in person if you can or over the phone if you can. I know kids don't talk on the phone anymore, right? Um, and then what role each level of distancing and engagement plays in that relationship. And so when I sit in front of you and we have a conversation, how powerful that is. And then maybe we talk on the phone or we FaceTime. FaceTime's the big one, right? We FaceTime and that's a connection too, but we're not actually together. Well, then we text and that's a one-on-one -on -one connection, but it's not the same. And then how social media plays in is it is so diverse and so big um, that kids are often falsely feeling connected sometimes to people they don't even know and sometimes the people they know but who only put a certain sense of themselves out and so it's really about supporting our kids and understanding each of those dynamics and that social media can be a great place to connect and it can have its strengths uh, and it can be important for our kids when they're old enough and responsible enough to handle it it is parents responsibility to uh, oversee and navigate that process but that it isn't real life and that it isn't real friendships. And the thing that makes it not real life and not real friendships is because you don't get that kind of instantaneous feedback from what you're putting out, from mm -hmm. what you're doing. It probably, for me at least, would also kind of interfere with kind of building intimacy and even being yeah. self-disclosive. Mm -hmm. Because I think when friendships really grow, you get to have intimate uh, relationships with a friend. You do self-disclose. You do share your secrets and know they're safe. It's hard to do that in social media, but it, in in place like camp where you're face-to-face -face and yeah. spending 24 hours a day together, I imagine that's part of the reason that camp friendships are just so unique. Absolutely. And our kids are thinking that they're having the intimacy and feeling comfortable sharing on social media but there is often so much backlash from that, that when a kid experiences a friendship, like a cam friendship where they're authentic and the screens aren't involved and there aren't other people liking or disliking or whatever it is, that those moments of that connection teach them how important it is. Uh, whereas a lot of kids in our culture who don't have the time to be friends without the screens, don't have the opportunity to learn that. And we've also talked about from time to time, Risa, that there are some kids have a little trouble just making friends, sure. trouble, trouble connecting, trouble reading those social cues. Any thoughts about how um, they can be helped to kind of foster friendships? Sure. So, again, it goes back to teaching them what to look for. And some of our kids can have one conversation about a feeling and forever understand that a sad face is a sad face. And some of our kids need coaching and support in understanding what's going on with someone else. They also need support in managing their own emotions so they can be present with someone else. And it's really about being present with that one individual unique kid. And I'm 
so impressed with our counselors consistently in how they're able to be present with each of their campers and understand uh, where they are and help them navigate situations um, as they arise. And so, yeah, it really is about, it goes back to that coaching and role-playing and supporting, but it's different for every kid. I also have noticed, and we've talked about a little bit, that sometimes kids become friends and they didn't even know what was going on. Yeah. They may have shared an activity. They may have been swimming together. They may be in a play together. Yeah. They may just kind of randomly sat next to each other on the bus going from one camp to the other. Yeah. Uh, what happens when all of a sudden you turn to your left, your right, and you realize I'm talking to a friend? It must be a marvelous experience. Yeah, it's lovely, and it's wonderful for kids to have that feeling. When I was... Um, about 13 years old, I went back to camp. I'd been going for a couple years already, and I got plopped in a bunk with kids I didn't know. And I remember being so upset and scared. I was fearful about what that would mean. And a day or two in, I looked around and I went, oh, these kids are really cool. They're my friends now. And before I knew it, uh, we were really connected and I had a great summer. And there's a couple people from that summer that are still my good friends mm -hmm. now all these years later. And so you know, it, you don't have to realize it's happening. Um, and sometimes it can be, you can be worried about it on the front end, but supporting our kids and building those new relationships and really being in new situations, because the new situation is what you're saying is building the new friendship and you don't even realize it. And that's fantastic. You know, as adults, we look back and we think, gosh, I was in more, I wish I was in more situations where I could meet people who I connected with without even realizing it. So it's okay to send your kid off to camp without having a whole bunch of friends already pre-assigned. Absolutely. And you can be the new kid in the bunk. I'm mm -hmm. sure that has its moments of trepidation. Yeah. But it seems like uh, it can be resolved fairly quickly and, and you can build new friends. Very quickly. And I again, I speak from personal experience on this one, that it's it can actually turn out to be some of the best experiences you have. That connecting with friends you know is great. Connecting with friends you haven't met yet is can be awesome. I also know in your role at camp from time to time, you probably hear about a situation where a letter might have come home and saying, my friends aren't being nice to me, mm -hmm. or I don't have any friends, and a parent would naturally be quite concerned and so forth. What kind of things do, do we do when that mm -hmm. happens? So what I like to remind parents in those moments is that that happened four days ago, and that kids move quickly and camp moves quickly. And so we know that our kids don't hold on to things in the same way that we might expect or we might think of as adults and that camp moves even faster that when you're living with someone 24 hours a day seven days a week time goes very fast you're also very busy at camp and so you go from activity to activity and the the environment changes and you're sort of the moment shifts and so you know i could be in a bunk and be mad at you right now and in five minutes we're at um swim and we're helping each other through the pool through the new skill and then we're out and we're best friends again and so that's my suggestion is just to remember that and also to remember that there is a way to support your kid by writing back not about that but about saying i hope things are going well with your friends i i you know I, i'm so glad you're making new friends at camp um and then if you're really worried using kind of the chain uh, and you can always call camp or, or, or email um, and say uh, to the right people, right? And you can find all that information. But to say, hey, my kid told me there was a concern. Can you check it out for me? And 
being able to hear, oh, I put my eyes on your kid today. And I've been, you know, lucky enough over the years to have many of those conversations or share many of those emails with parents where I say, I just went and saw your kid. And the thing that you're worried about is actually the opposite right now. And so they're hanging out with the other kid you were worried about uh, right now and smiling. Or, you know, I know they said they were worried about swim, but I just watched them swim across the pool. And what an, what an awesome opportunity to be able to see that shift happen. One other phenomenon I've observed at camp from time to time is that friendships are built not only with uh, your fellow bunkmates, but that you get to be friendly with kids older, younger, yeah. and even kind of for the first time, kind of get learn how to talk to adults and grown-ups in kind of a very open-ended way. Mm -hmm. How does that impact friendships? How does that kind of play out from time mm -hmm. to time? I think what it does is it opens kids' horizons. It lets them know that friendship is not as narrow as we might have earlier believed, or sometimes we you know, schools would have us think, or, you know, we're in a grade and it all, all kids our age. Well, camp gives us the opportunity, you might be in a bunk with kids our age, but it gives us the opportunity to meet people all over and talk to adults. And what a great opportunity to get to talk to an adult who you're first intimidated by or look up to, and then all of a sudden they're your friends. Uh, and it's really, it is important as adults, we don't think so much about the age that we are versus the age our friend is. As kids, we think about it more, but at camp, those barriers come down. And so it's great when kids, uh, you know, can connect with people who are older and have role models and see. Um, I've had many uh, former campers over the years say, oh, I'm thinking about going to social work school. What would that mean? Um, and then I can have that conversation with them uh, about what it means and how great I think this work is. Um, but it can also happen on a younger level about what college am I going to or what class am I taking in school or what it's like to transition to middle school, uh, which is a big transition for kids. And so those different age friendships become really valuable to learn from. And lastly, I would have, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about your friendships at camp. Yeah. Clearly you have friendships for a lifetime mm -hmm. yourself. When you reflect on that, what do you think about? I think about that camp friendships are the standards to which I hold other friendships accountable. And that, you know, the closeness and the empathy and the awareness uh, and just thinking about them um, when you live with someone, what that builds and how important that is. And that, you know, now as an adult, uh, I have these friendships that have gone through so many different stages and that there have been lapses in the friendships and then we've come back together and that. But these are the people who I am most connected with and that I feel know me the best and that I know them the best. And so camp friendships are important and they are valuable and they really, I mean, for me, they're to what I hold other friends, the standards to which I hold other friendships to. It really is friendships for a lifetime. Friendships for a lifetime, without a doubt. I could go on talking with you forever and ever, but we're going to have to stop here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so thank much, Risa. You. It's been a delight. Thank you.